If you have a Bible here tonight, uh, turn with me uh, to the book of Ruth, and let's go to chapter 4. We want to come to the conclusion. Uh, four short chapters, but such a powerful book. And so tonight we want to look at Boaz redeems Ruth the Moabite. And, and that's what I, I really uh, emphasize, that she was a Moabite. And generally the the Israelites would have nothing to do with the Moabites. And yet God saw her heart. God saw, and basically Naomi took her in. And, and yet she married one of the sons. But now this uh, time has lapsed. Uh, she's back in Bethlehem with Naomi. And uh, we know that uh, her husband is, is, has passed away. We know that Naomi's husband's passed away. And we know the other brother also, uh, his wife has passed away. So, uh, is, well, not his wife, but he had passed away. So it's been a difficult time. And yet God had a plan uh, through Boaz. And so I, I need to reminisce a little bit, uh, take you back uh, some portions of Ruth chapter 3, uh, basically sets up Ruth chapter 4. It's important to understand the Jewish law concerning the place and the purpose of the kinsman redeemer. And now in the Hebrew, he is called the Goel. In the case here in Ruth chapter 3 and chapter 4, this Goel is Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, a male relative, a man sharing the same uh, racial, culture, or national background as another family member. In the Old Testament, the word kinsman is often used in the translation of a Hebrew word that means one who has the right to redeem. And you can study that in Leviticus chapter 25. And so Boaz had this right. Also, an Israelite could sell himself, his family, or his land in the case of poverty. The kinsman redeemer, which would be the next of kin, and it has to be the next one in line. And so there's going to be one before Boaz, and Boaz approaches him, and he relinquishes that right. This person, a near relative, has to be has to have the first option by the law to buy the land being sold. The person or persons of that family uh, that have been sold. Thus allowing it to be kept within the family structure. The whole concept was preserving the family name such as Elimelech and his two sons. Since they have passed away and there's no offspring... And so the closest relationship here is Boaz. And we studied out of Deuteronomy chapter 25, uh, the redeeming of the marriage of the dead kinsman's wife. Here it's Ruth. And so Boaz being the redeemer, uh, this is the key here. I want you to see this. God, the Father, redeemed us uh, through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. He is our kinsman redeemer. And that's why we've come to the cross. The father sent his only begotten son to die. To give us life eternal. Now on your own if you're taking notes. In John chapter 3 verses 1 through 21. Jesus is teaching on the new birth. 
And we know that Nicodemus comes into, into play there in John chapter 3. But we understand John 3.16. Most of the world knows the scripture of John 3.16. Oh, that's that scripture. Oh, that's that from the Holy Bible. And for many times, you would watch a sporting event, and there was always somebody uh, with a placard, and it said John 3.16. And it used to baffle the mind of all of those sports people in television. How does he get there? He was always behind the plate. He was always at the 50-yard line. He was always, you know, at the basketball court, and he would be in the end zone portion. and. He would just show up everywhere. And people were, some getting irate. There's that John 3.16 again. And little did they know that God was speaking to them. But then several years later, that same guy, if you remember him, he used to have a, an afro with multicolors in it, looked like a rainbow. And so I kept wondering, where is he? They shot him. They killed him, right? Well, it turned out he got in trouble with the law. And I guess he was making new placards, but uh, inside the prison. And such a testimony, huh? I hope and pray that he remembers that placard that he kept flashing. And people would buy him tickets. And yes, the gospel got out. But look at his testimony. And so if you're going to proclaim Christ, if you're going to wear John 3.16 t-shirts, if you're going to, you know, put decals on your car, would you act the Christian? How many times I've driven up to the stop sign and, you know, there's a, a person with all a tons of stickers, and then you see them drinking a beer. You see them lighting up a cigarette. And, then, you know, you want to smoke, that's your business. But what do you... Putting as far as the testimony. And I like what my pastor said one day. He was trying to catch this car because the car passed him. He has all kinds of stickers. And he says, he gave me the one-way sign. Well, when I got up to him, he says, it was the wrong finger. And so just because they have stickers doesn't mean they're Christian. My uncles used to make fun of my dad. My dad would borrow my mom's vehicle, and then he would go to the racetrack. And they would know my dad was at the racetrack because there's my mom's car. My mom put every sticker imaginable. And so here's this Holy Ghost stickered car at Santa Anita Racetrack. Interesting. So in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Interesting, because all this past week, uh, we began to celebrate Sunday, uh, the triumphal entry, and so we understand Holy Week, we understand Passion Week, and there are those that call it Easter Week, but it started with the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9, that 500 years prior to Jesus entering on the triumphal entry, at the top of the Mount of Olives and descending down and then going into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey's colt that had never been ridden. Uh, what a prophecy uh, that was fulfilled. And uh, I, I love the prophecy. 
and yet, does that bring people to Christ? It obviously has to be not the John 3.16 sign or Zechariah 9.9 that it actually took place in my book, in your book. But unless the Holy Spirit pricks their hearts, they're not going to come to Christ. And so we're looking at this kinsman redeemer. He purchases the rights. This is Boaz. And he takes Ruth as his wife. Ruth is part of the genealogy. But I like that Christ reached out to me. I like that Christ reached out to you. And that he saw something in us. That he saw a potential. And that he wants to save us. And so this is Ruth, a Moabite. Uh, despised by the Israelites. Because they were basically idol worshipers. And yet, married the, the sons of Emelech and uh, Naomi. Now, let's go back real quick, just a, a few verses. Ruth chapter 3, look at verse 8 through 10. Ruth had gone to the threshing floor uh, where Boaz was tending uh, to the barley harvest. After the meal, after the day spent there, uh, Boaz uh, rested, then he slept. But Ruth rested next to him, unheard of. Uh, then covered herself with his garment. This startled him because, now look at verse 8, Ruth chapter 3. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself, and, and there was a woman was lying at his feet. Ruth, the Moabite, was instructed by Naomi uh, to do this exactly. And how God went before her, because uh, you can see here that Boaz is startled. What's going on? And nobody sees it. I mean, he could be in trouble. And so in verse 9, it says, and he said, oh, who are you? And so she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Uh, take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. He would know exactly what she is talking about. because Boaz was the Goel. And at this point, I think he's finally getting the picture. Uh, he's taken care of her. He's given her, uh, you know, access to the fields and told his, his men, hey, give her whatever she needs. He was very kind to her. Now, you need to see this. Uh, Boaz is not a young man. Naomi, when she brought Ruth in, her plan is to get Ruth married. And Ruth is still of age. But we don't know how old Boaz was because he says, I found favor. You could have had anybody else, but I found favor. And so look at verse 10. Then Boaz said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness. And she was very kind to him in the very beginning. But he says, you've shown more kindness. At the end than at the beginning, and that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And so it shows us that he was an older gentleman. And yet God has put this thing together. And, and Boaz was well known in Bethlehem. He had a, a, a strong business. There are those that believe that during the time of the famine, God kept blessing uh, his business. And basically, 
he had the harvest. And so when Naomi heads back, because her family's dead, we know the story. Ruth latches on. And Ruth says, I want to follow you. And we're going to share some more on that. And so now let's go to Ruth chapter 4. We have a lot to share. And so Boaz redeems Ruth, the Moabite. Uh, Look at verse 1. Now Boaz went up to the gate, speaking about the city gate, and he sat down there, and behold, the the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken uh, came by. And so Boaz said, come aside, friend, sit down here. So he had come aside, and he sat down. And so obviously to me, Boaz has already been talking uh, to this other kinsman redeemer. And it's obvious that he has uh, the first take because his line and the relative line, he's the closer one. But I want you to see this. They're at the city gates here. The elders and the officers of the city met at the city gate, according to Deuteronomy chapter 16. Boaz had told Ruth previously, there is another before me, a closer relative. And so you had to follow down the line. If he gives up his right, then Boaz is the next closest relative. And it's interesting how God is going to intervene. How God is going to go before Naomi. How God is going to go before Ruth. You see, so many times uh, you might think, Lord, they passed me up again. Lord, they chose somebody else over me. But if you're a believer, you're a Christian. I have to believe God has a plan. Maybe that was not for you, whatever it might be. But God has a plan. And you have to listen uh, to the Holy Spirit. And so now it's Boaz's time, but it's still not over yet. Look at verse 2. And he took ten men of the elders of the city, and he said, sit down here. And so they sat down. Watch what Boaz is doing here. Remember, all the transitions, transactions that is, businesses of the city so in a sense i want you to think of uh, of the mayor and 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 you know uh, the consul people and such and those that would make the rules and regulations uh those that uh, made judgments the city gates was very popular uh remember lot he found himself outside of sodom and then the next thing we know he's inside of sodom and then we find him at the city gates And so he was part of the business there. And he got involved to the point that God sends two angels to get him out. But so so now, why ten men? And I was looking into this. Uh, Numbers in in the scriptures many times have a purpose and a reason. And so we see the number two, two witnesses. The number three, uh, the Trinity. Uh, The number five uh, is supposed to be uh, grace and the number six is the number of man. The number seven always represents God. But here's a ten, and you have a lot of tens in the scripture. But in the particular reason here, ten need is is needed for a court of law. Ten is needed for a court of law in the Old Testament, and so this represents the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter twenty. And I was really blown away by that because it makes sense. And again, the commandments of the Lord, obey them. And so here's these ten men. 
these elders of the city, these are those that make decisions. There, there most likely was more of them, but I like that he chose 10 there. He says, I need them. So when the decision is made, uh, nobody's going to come against it. Look at verse 3. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land uh, which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And so Naomi was without inheritance. Ruth also had no inheritance because there's no man. They sold everything before they left about 10 years prior. And so inheritance was very important. And so why is there no inheritance? Because everybody's dead. Uh, Naomi's husband, uh, you know, Ruth's husband, and even Ophrah, the other uh, daughter that stayed in Moab, her husband is dead. And so the husbands are dead, the two sons are dead, and it was now open for the next heir uh, to purchase the land or the family member according to the law. I want you to see something that the purchase of Ruth is not mentioned yet. And so does this other close relative, this other Goel, kinsman redeemer, redeemer, does he know? But it seems that uh, Boaz keeps it away from him as much as possible. But I want you to see the beautiful picture here that speaks about us, uh, the church, the body of Christ. The beautiful picture here is of us. Who could redeem us? Now, we all have our parents. Uh, can our mom and dad, can they redeem us? Can the husband redeem uh, his wife? Can the wife redeem uh, her husband? Uh, can I redeem my own children, my grandchildren? The answer is no, because we are speaking about spiritual redemption, not physical redemption. I want you to turn with me uh, to Luke chapter 9, verse 23 through verse 26. Jesus is teaching here. And he says, pick up your own cross and follow me. And I think at one time or another, we've all studied this passage. And remember that the cross is a symbol of death. I know many times people love, the Christians love to put crosses around their neck on a chain and such. And if you're going to do that, make sure uh, there's no Jesus figure on the cross. Because he's risen. And so in a sense, you're still leaving him on the cross. And so I like what Pastor Xavier told us years ago. You want to hang something around your neck? Hang an empty tomb. Nobody gets that. First of all, you'd fall over. <laughs> but look at Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, these are the words of Christ. Let him deny himself, uh, take up uh, his cross. You take up your own cross on a daily basis and, and follow me, Jesus said. For whosoever desires to uh, save his life will lose it. But whosoever loses his life uh, for my sake will save it. We need to die to self when we, we come to Christ. We need to die to self and we need to take up the cross and follow Christ. In verse 25 it says, for what profit is it? Uh, to a man or to a woman, if he or she gains the whole world and is himself or herself uh, destroyed or lost. What does it profit a man? What does it profit a, a woman 
to gain the whole world, but to lose their soul. You know, if you have a business, uh, you're an entrepreneur, uh, you're a CEO, uh, you've got a string of businesses, and before you know it, you're accumulating a lot of money and a lot more businesses. And so if you're in those type of circles, boy, to, to make it to the Forbes list that comes out every year, if you're one of the top 10, and that's great if that's what you're seeking. And most people that have money are seeking something of that nature. I'm talking about gazillionaires. Let's put it that way. So your part, you're finally saying, wow, I've been 11, I've been 12, I'm 10 now. But what does it profit a man? What does it profit a woman to gain the whole world, to get on Forbes list, and to lose their own soul? Verse 26, for whosoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the son of man, uh, will be uh, ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his father's and of the holy angels. And so here's Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. He's come in for a purpose. Christ is our kinsman redeemer, redeemer, and he's come in for a purpose for us. He saw something in you. He saw something in me. And I thank God, even when I was running from God, even when some of you were running from God. But he sees, and the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's a universal call. I don't believe God calls somebody here, but he doesn't call somebody over here. And some people teach that. I believe we all have a free will. And the time comes we have to respond. And that free will is going to take us to the place of yes or no. And so Judas Iscariot, he had a free will to choose. And so we also have that free will. Let's go back to our text now. And so look at Ruth chapter 4, look at verse 4. And I thought to inform you, he says, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants, in the elders of the people, of my people, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it. And I am the next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Boaz is next of kin. And so He's trying to get a straight answer here. He is ready to buy uh, the inheritance right because uh, she has nothing. Uh, Ruth, that is. Boaz speaks of the land at first. Then he will bring up the wife. The next of kin would also have uh, to purchase and to marry her. Now, obviously, most men would probably just prefer the land. Because if you take Ruth, you have to take everything that's part of her. Now, she has no children, but Naomi would be part of the package. Now, what if you have your own children, and that's what's going to happen to this kinsman redeemer? What if you have your own wife and your own inheritance already, 
And uh, <laughs> what is your wife going to say if you purchase this? Maybe the land looks lucrative, but you have to take the whole package. So I want you to think there. Uh, the Marian portion of Ruth is, again, from Deuteronomy chapter 25. The wife is also included. And so verse 5, then Boaz said, On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabite, the wife of the, of the dead, uh, to perpetuate uh, the name of the, of the dead uh, through his inheritance. It was very important for the Jews to keep the name, the line going. And that's why when if you passed away, then your brother, and then the next brother, and the next brother. And uh, that was the law. Uh, this was a package deal here, according to verse 5. The law stated uh, the right of the kinsman redeemer towards the deceased husband, Elimelech. He also had to fulfill the duty in both the property and the spouse. And so Naomi's involved. Ruth is involved. And watch what happens with this uh, kinsman redeemer. Now, So, it, again, some more commentary. Boaz is very wise, listen to me, in his old age. Remember, uh, he is a, a businessman. And he's very wise in this area of business. So, you notice he brought up the land, but he didn't speak about Naomi didn't speak about Ruth until after. And so he's hoping, he's praying, I'm sure, that he's going to relinquish. And so, again, God has a purpose. Now, he might be a businessman. Listen to me. And sometimes we, you know, we have all this save, whatever I might do, and because of my education and such. But let's not forget who is the real businessman here, and that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in charge. I believe that the Holy Spirit is leading Boaz. Did Boaz know this was the first time the other kinsmen considered this? This is a big decision here. Had he talked to him before? And if there was talk, was it about just the land and not about Naomi and not about Ruth. Maybe when it was just the property, it was easy to decide on. But he must take Naomi. He must take Ruth. And if there's children, he would have to take that. And so I can see this guy kind of shaking in his boots now. Sandals, excuse me. And uh, he's got to make a decision. Look at verse 6 now. And the close relatives said, I cannot redeem it for myself then. Uh, let's, I ruin my own inheritance. Listen to this. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. That's what Boaz wanted. I don't know about you, but I tell you, when I, I pray for something and I've been praying for it for a while, uh, when, when it finally comes uh, to some type of conclusion, and it's in my favor. This is what I've been praying for. I mean, I think it's great. Because I've had closed doors. You've had closed doors. And that's why we pray God's will. Lord, what is your will? I know what I want. I know what Bob wants. You guys know what you want. Like I told you before, years back, I wanted a truck. And God gave me a Volkswagen. 
And I said, Lord, I barely fit in a truck. You put me in a Volkswagen? I'm going to have to get all greased up every time to get in there. Notice now. For I cannot redeem it. It would have been great to receive the property. But what about Ruth? What about Naomi? The nearest kinsman, kinsman knew this. That taking her into his home and raising up her children. Now we know she doesn't have children. But when we get to the conclusion, her and Boaz bring forth a child. And so obviously you take her on. You have to marry her. And the chances are you're going to have children. That's not going to go good with the other wife. And so he's making a good decision. And yet uh, uh, I like how God is putting this thing together. Now maybe this first kinsman redeemer, maybe he had already redeemed a previous son or a previous daughter. Or another can. We don't know. But I'm kind of trying to add into this. Because he said no. I think as soon as he found out. That Ruth was part of the bargain. And. Naomi's part of the bargain. And so I want you to think of that. Look at verse 7 now. Now this was a custom. In former times in Israel. uh, Concerning redeeming. And exchanging. uh, To confirm. Anything, one man, listen to what we spoke of in our last teaching. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was a confirmation in Israel. A strange custom to us, but this is what they did. Uh, There's another step to it. When you get home, we don't have time here tonight. I want you to study Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 through 10. It describes the ceremony. When a kinsman uh, declined his responsibility, uh, the one declining removed the sandal and the woman he declined to uh, to honor. He she spat on his face and you read that in verse nine. Now, it doesn't happen here, but in this case, because uh, there was no real honor involved. In other words, there was no other children and such involved, but uh, she wants Boaz. And Boaz wants her. And so there was no spitting here. (laughs) And, and, you know, now, was it a little spit? Was it a, let me draw back a good one? I don't know. But uh, that's a guy thing. I'm sorry, ladies. But in verse 9, this is the case. Because there was no real uh, situation here. In other words, everybody was in agreement. And so... Just the sandal. And I like that. There was no spittle involved. And so look at verse 8. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. That's what Boaz wanted to hear. So he took off his sandal. Notice there's still no mention of Ruth. But the deal is part of it. And so is Naomi. And Boaz said to the elders, verse 9, and all to the, all the people who are witness this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech and all that was Chilons, that was the first son, and Melhons, uh, that was the other son, and from the hand of Naomi. And so now this kinsman knows. 
but he's already relinquished and he's happy about it. He's probably more happier now that he finds out that he doesn't have to, you know, take on uh, Ruth and Mo and Naomi and to marry her. Maybe he had a, a wife that would have put up with that. I don't know. But listen, the other kinsmen now said, the land is yours to redeem. You're willing to redeem all the Elimelech's inheritance by taking Ruth as wife, but he also has to take Naomi. In other words, he was not willing to commit to the package deal. Again, I want you to see the picture here of God's grace. Look at the picture of Christ in my life, the picture of Christ in your life. When he took me, when he took you, uh, he took the whole package deal. I'm talking about the package of sin. We're all sinners saved by grace. And I wish I could tell you uh, years and years of going to prison ministry back in uh, Southern California and then prison ministry here in the beginning uh, in Southern New Mexico Correctional Facility. There's always those guys and there's always those girls in the prison system uh, you know, in, in the jail system, and they've committed some poor, pretty bad crimes, real horde crimes, uh, such as somebody is a serial killer. And then finally, when they, the time passes and they find out through the gospel at, at the joint, uh, God has, or God can, forgive me. The devil will take you back. Wait a minute. You didn't kill one. You didn't kill two. You killed a, a whole bunch of people. Oh, God maybe can forgive you uh, because of one or two, but man, you're a serial killer. God will never forgive you. That is a lie of the devil. And then when they do come to saving grace, then the people that are outside, they can't hang. What kind of God do you serve that forgives that person? I've seen it. But you see, when God died for me, when he sent his son to die for you, it was the whole package. I don't care what you've done. And that's probably the, one of the hardest things uh, to bring across to the prisoner, to the inmate. Very difficult. And this is why People like Pastor Mark, uh, they have a prison ministry that they literally go and they minister to these people. And Mark is able to tell them, hey, I was one of you. And God forgave me. He can forgive you. And so praise God uh, for that kind of a ministry. And praise God that God took Ruth here, a Moabite. Unheard of. She was an idol worshiper. And God took her in. And see, I can respond, well, I was not an idol worshiper. Yes, you were. Because anything that takes the place of God becomes an idol in my life. Now, I want to take you through to two passages. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Leave a marker there. We'll get back to Ruth. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. And so God, in his infinite mercy, chose us, and he gives us an inheritance. That inheritance is Christ. And he seals that inheritance 
with the power of the Holy Spirit. So uh, look at Ephesians chapter one. Look at verse 13 here. In him, you also trusted. Speaking about us. After you heard the word of God. You heard the word of God of truth. The gospel of your salvation. He's speaking about us, the church, the body of Christ. In whom also, having believed, and we came to that place of believing, were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. You know, when you purchase something and you're at the local, you know, shop and whatever it might be, uh, sometimes they stamp it. Especially if you go to the post office, you're buying something or you're mailing something, they stamp it. When we came to Christ, that work of grace was put upon us, put into us, and then sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. In verse 14, uh, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession? Now, we come to Christ, and we are part of the inheritance, but it's not done yet. To praise of his glory. One day, Jesus is going to come and take what's his. And how's he going to know who it is? Well, he's the son of God, savior of the world. But what we're speaking about is stamp of approval, which is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit shows that you are part of the inheritance. I love that. Now, I'm going to just read this to you because we're going to go to verse 10 right now in Ruth. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, listen to this. Remember, in the book of Hebrews, it's all about Jesus now as the high priest. It's all about Jesus as the complete sacrifice. He says in, in Hebrews 9, 12, not with blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Jesus now is this high priest. Jesus now is the complete sacrifice. And again, what we shared Sunday, uh, when the temple curtain rent in two, where did, where did it tear from? From the top to the bottom. Indication that God did it. God says, you don't need a priest to go in once a year. You don't need a bunch of other priests to hold back the curtain and to go into the Holy of Holies because Jesus has accomplished it. And we know traditionally and historically they tell us that they went back and sewed it back up. And then you think about 70 AD. God destroyed that temple. Let's go back to Ruth. Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 10 now. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess the widow of Mahalan, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. That the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from the position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. So Boaz, not only the land I have acquired that belonged to Elimelech, all his inheritance but also Ruth, the Moabite. And Naomi's part of the package. What would be the point? Why would he point this out? That's what I want to bring out. He's talking to the elders. He's talking to the leadership. Because Ruth had come uh, to know God. 
the God of his her husband, Mahalan, the God of her father-in-law, Elimelech, the God of her mother-in-law, Naomi. You see, they could have questioned Boaz and saying, listen, she's a Moabitess. But she had a testimony. She had a testimony. Real quick, go back up uh, to Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, uh, when she was coming in. And Ruth wants to go with her, remember? With Naomi. Naomi's trying to ask her to stay. Ophrah stayed. But Naomi wants to follow her, or or Ruth wants to follow Naomi. And so, uh, Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, Ruth said to Naomi, entreat me not to leave you. And and you can look at the word entreat, and also translate that she's saying, I pray not to leave you, or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. Those are very strong words. Those are part of the words that we use in in the marriage ceremony here at Calvary Chapel. And I know a lot of pastors like to, uh, you know, use those passages because the wife is saying to the husband, where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God shall be my God. Look at verse 11 now. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses of what's taking place here, basically. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah. There's a big significance here. The fact, in fact, some of the commentaries said that it was a type of benediction. It was a type of a blessing. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house, which is Ruth, make her like Rachel and Leah, uh, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Epaphrata and, and to be famous in Bethlehem. Now, I don't believe that just the ten elders were there at the city gate. In my opinion, and other commentaries said the same. There could have been other people there. They want to see what's going to happen here. Remember, they they loved Naomi when she came in. And they ten years later, they missed her. She had a good testimony. And so now, to me, there's others there. Were they there for curiosity? Or were they truly interested? Were they hoping that, you know, the first kinsman uh, would deny it? And now for Boaz. Had they already heard that, you know, Ruth had been working the fields and Boaz had found favor and, uh, you know, let her take extra? Uh, There's a lot of, you know, speculation here. Yet the transfer is made. I love this. Uh, There's no signing of deeds or anything. Yet the transfer was made. Notice that the further promise, the Lord make the woman, speaking of Ruth, Like Rachel and Leah. Rachel and Leah, who was their husband? But Jacob. And what came from uh, Jacob's loins? We have the 12 tribes of Israel. What a beautiful picture. I mean, even though he was tricked and Jacob was another uh, character in his own means, 
But yet God blessed them. And now he wants to bless Naomi. And he wants to bless Boaz. Now, verse 12 brings it to this conclusion. And then we're going to see uh, the descendants of, of Boaz. And so we're going to see the genealogies. Look at verse 12 now. Uh, May your house be like uh, the house of Perez, uh, whom Tamar bore to Judah, uh, because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. Now, there's good commentary here. Perez uh, was the ancestor of, of the Bethlehemites. Uh, Perez gave his name to the uh, section of the tribe of Judah that was descendants from him. You need to study uh, Numbers chapter 26. Listen to this. The mother uh, of Obed and the great-grandmother of David, uh, a woman of the country of Moab, Ruth married Mahalan, uh, one of the two sons of Elimelech and Naomi. With his wife and sons, Elimelech had migrated, as we were studying chapter 1, uh, to Moab to escape the famine in the land of Israel. And when Elimelech and both of uh, his sons died, they left three widows. And so it was Naomi, Ruth, and Ophrah, uh, Ruth's sister-in-law. When Naomi decided to return uh, home to Bethlehem, uh, Ruth chose to accompany her. Remember, we studied right now. We read Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. Where you go, I will go. Your God is my God. Your people are my people. And so, God has a plan. And, and sometimes things are not happening in my life, in your life, exactly the way Bob wants them. Exactly the way, and put your name in there. Because that's human nature. Lord, I would do it this way. We always seem to have a better plan than God, right? And if he ever lets you do it, and sometimes he does, and then down the line you go, Lord, why'd you let me do this? That's what you wanted. We're going to see when we start to get into the kings. God was their king. But they told Samuel, we want a king like the nations. And he warned them. He's going to tax you. He's going to take your, your, your men servants, your, your children to be men servants and maid servants. That's okay. And that's our nature. I think God has the best plan for us, right? And yet, my flesh gets in the way. Again, maybe something as simple as a truck and a Volkswagen. And yet God is in control. Now we're going to come to the conclusion. And the descendants here are very important. And so the descendants, the caption in my Bible says above verse 13. The descendants of Boaz and Ruth. And if you're taking notes, when you get home, study Matthew chapter 1, the genealogies of Jesus Christ. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he went in to her, the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. You will see in the genealogy, their son would be Obed and he would produce Jesse and Jesse would produce King David. And then uh, through the line, we will find Jesus Christ. And so again, everything has a purpose and a plan. 
And again, most of you know this, but I need to remind you, when you go to uh, Matthew chapter 1, interesting to me that you have four women that are mentioned. And four women that were not likely to be in the genealogy of Christ. You have Ruth, you have Tamar, and, and you have Rahab, and then you have Bathsheba. Now I'm going to give you some homework. Go find out what they did, each one. And again, what's the first reference? You say, well, I know who Rahab was. She was a harlot. That's right. But look at the mercy of God, the grace of God. Maybe we weren't these type of sinners that we have here of these four women, but we're still all sinners, aren't we? And yet God reached out to us again. Verse 14 says, Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be uh, the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, a kinsman redeemer, in other words, and may his name be famous in Israel. You are redeemed now, and God's going to give you a child. And the name of, of Ruth, the name of Naomi, is part of the, the history, and everybody knows that. And so the testimony of Ruth is incredible. Again, a Moabite. Look at verse 15. And may he be to you, speaking of, of the, the children that would come, a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you. Listen to this. Then seven sons has borne him. The tribute to Ruth, but the blessing. And also the tribute to Naomi. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. There's something about grandmas. And I tell you, we have three grandchildren that are already in their teens. And we love them. But they're in their teens, you know. You go to kiss them on the cheek. Oh, grandpa. Then we got the two little guys, and they just love you to death. And if my wife had her rather, she'd be in Albuquerque every weekend. Because I miss the kids, she misses the kids. And there's something just about, you know, my wife has her, her, her notepad, her Kindle, and as soon as the grandkids, Grandma, can I have it? And I go, oh. And she hands it to them, and there they are. <laughs> You know, <laughs> that's a grandma. That's a grandma. If they could drive the vehicle, she'd give them the keys. I know she would. <laughs> but I love this. Naomi took the child, laid him on her bosom, and became a nurse to him. You know, my dad was hardcore. He didn't get nothing past him. And he was a disciplinarian. And after the kids started coming, we were still in California. I can still remember that one day we're at my mom and dad's house and I spanked one of the girls in front of my dad. Now, he didn't tell me, don't do that. But I looked over and I go, you're crying? You're crying? You used to beat us? Well, it's not the same anymore. <laughs> There's a soft spot in all of us, right? But uh, look at verse 17. Also, the neighbor women gave him, 
him a name saying, uh, this, there is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. O Obed, listen to this. In the Hebrew, it means worshiper. It can also mean serving. And so Obed, uh, I just this guy was great. And uh, he was part of the heritage here. Uh, now, this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. And Ram begot uh, Aminadab. And Aminadab begot uh, Nashun. And Nashun begot Salmon. And Salmon begot Boaz. And Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David. How it all fits into plan. Naomi would go to Moab. Her sons, one of them would marry, uh, you know, Ruth. God saw Ruth's heart. She says, I will follow you. Listen, she still had family in Moab. And yet she followed the mother-in-law. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you would follow your mother-in-law? Don't go there, Pastor Bob. I'm supposed to be a Christian. Here's some homework, okay? I want you to study Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. And there we see the genealogies of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And then you also see uh, the genealogies of Mary. And that's in uh, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And so just how it plays, how it has such a perfect uh, place. And, you know, sometimes we might say, you know, God, I'm, I'm just I just come to church. I'm really not being used by you. And yet, have you ever actually prayed? Lord, what is it that you want me to do? Uh, those of you that have gone to Klein Park, you know, it's such a blessing to be there. I, I wish we could do more of those, but it, it, it's costly. And yet, God wants to prepare all of us. There is something. I'm really blessed to see all the ladies that are coming to the Bible study right now. And, you know, Tuesday morning, and then you have Thursday. And they're studying the, the tribes of Israel. Very important. And so then we, we have the other guys that are coming and such. Uh, we're going to do the Seder Passover uh, meal on, on Friday. And we're looking for a group to come. People are going to come. You guys have all signed up. God wants to use each and every one of us. You know, I want you to think of Aaron. He's up here not just playing uh, the drums. And last Sunday he was singing. But he also has the youth. And now him and his wife are going to bring forth the Seder. Somebody needs to say, hey, you know what? If Aaron can do all those things, I can do one. That's right. We have to step out by faith. And watch what God can do. Watch.